to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Good morning. How's everybody doing? All right, 9.15. Merry Christmas. Um, so uh, before I jump in with the sermon... Uh, I just wanted to say I've been reflecting on 2014 and uh, I've been getting emails and talking to individuals from the garden, just hearing the stories of what God has been doing uh, in the last few months, in the last year. And I just I just want to say thank you so much, Garden Church. Um, This is an incredible privilege to be a part of this story of a community that is um, just relentlessly pursuing Jesus and trying to do everything we can to live uh, the scriptures out. And uh, I, I get the privilege of, of kind of hearing the stories as they come in and, and watching sometimes from a distance and sometimes up close how God is moving in your lives. And, and I have to say that it's quite miraculous. It's, quite, it's a miracle to be a part of a community where um, the norm is unordinary. Um, the, the norm is extraordinary where it's normal for people to just give above and beyond finances, time and energy and life to those that don't have enough. I mean, that's what's happening right now. And to witness it is clearly simply to kind of pull back and just say God's up to something. And so as we close 2014, um, I just wanted to say thank you. I, I wasn't planning on doing this, but I just I was really uh, feeling it in my heart as I watch people worship and I'm, I've been listening to the stories of what God's up to. And I just I just have to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of, of creating a new story for a new generation of churches. And whether you know this or not, lots and lots of people on the outside of the garden are looking at what the garden is doing from around the world. Um, and they're not looking at our website thinking, oh, that's cool. They're not looking at the teaching or podcast. They're not looking at the music, they're looking at like the stories that are coming out from this church. They're hearing it all over the place. And that's because you guys are following Jesus in your own life. So thank you so much. Um, so is that cool? Yeah, so I'm excited for 2015. Um, so why don't we do this? I'm going to pray for our time. Um, I have a sermon that I've prepared this morning and I'm going to stick with it. So that's good news. And um, we're going to close up our Irresistible series. So let's just pray one more time. I want to invite the Holy Spirit just to minister to all of us this morning. Jesus, um, would you fill your time, this time with your presence, Holy Spirit. We want to make uh, room for you in our lives. Just now, I think of what's ahead as we come into Christmas week and um, the stress and the busyness and the excitement and joy that it can mean. But also recognizing that so many of us, this is just a reminder of the broken relationships that we have the loss of life that we've had in our life, and um, it can be difficult. And so, Lord, we just come to you with uh, joy and excitement and anticipation and uh, frustration and anxiety and worry and, and, and loneliness, and we just want to be present to you and what you have for us. And would you bless us this morning in your name. Amen. Irresistible Life, the series we've been talking about, is, I had this idea, and it started with just this question. What does it mean for us as ordinary followers of Jesus to live the life of Jesus out in our everyday life? What does that look like? 
uh, what does it look like for us to experience this kingdom of God life of peace and joy and love and justice and righteousness and, and resurrection? What does that look like for the stay-at-home mom, for the student, um, for the construction worker, for the graphic designer, for the teacher, for the accountant? What does it look like for everyone to, to experience this life and live it out here now? And I, I was wrestling with the ideas that so many people um, that, are, that are Christians still struggle with, with anger and lust and their marriages are falling apart and they're, they're torn in all sorts of di- different directions. And, and if, why is, is Jesus only good enough to get us someplace else when we die? Or does he, try, does he give us life before death? And, and what this series has been about is that, that he comes to give us life before our death. And that his death gives us life here and now before we die. And so we've been looking through the Sermon on the Mount at how to live this life out. And we recognize that Jesus has a lot to say about life here and now. And how we operate as followers of his and how we deal with ordinary moments that we actually can learn how to have anger appropriately and how to deal with relationships and how to allow our words to um, be accurate of what we actually mean. That we can become people that say what we mean and mean what we say. That we can become people that, um, that actually uh, don't struggle with lust anymore. That that's, that's, that's the hope here and now. Not just when we die. But there's an actual way to live this out because Jesus teaches it in the scriptures. That we can become people that pray and things happen. We can become people that invest our life, our treasures and resources in a way that will last for eternity. That we can become people that don't have to worry about life here and now. Because of who we're following. This is what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And, and we get to the end of this sermon. And, and Jesus gives us uh, four different illustrations of what this life looks like. And now, I know that we're, we're all expecting, you know, the, the Mary story right before Christmas. And Emmanuel, God with us. But you'll have to come to Christmas Eve for that. Because I have that ready for Christmas Eve. But today I want to end the, the Irresistible uh, series with the, the series that Jesus a series of illustrations that Jesus ends with. Um, and so this is, I'm going to start with the very end. And we're actually going to go backwards. And we're just going to look together. I'm just going to kind of bring my observations. That's all I want to do this morning is bring some observations about life. Um, life here and now. And what it looks like to follow Jesus here and now. That way we can um, kind of get on the same page and, um, and move forward to discuss the implications for our lives. And so Jesus says this. How, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, verse 24, after he's been doing a, a long sermon of teaching of all these beautiful things in various ways of, of redefining life as we know it, he says this. Therefore, verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So Jesus begins here. 
And he begins with a series of illustrations that summarize it. Look, there are different types of people. There are two different types of people. There are two different types of, of paths, two different ways of living your life, two different destinations. And, and I, it, it begins with this, or this particular ending begins with a certain type of person building a house and another type of person building a house. And they have two different results. Um, but one thing that happens to both of, the, of them is that the storms of life come. And that following Jesus doesn't mean storms won't happen. Circumstances won't change. And I think I want to make this clear that, that, that there are storms coming in your life. And as 2014 ends, I can look back at a lot of storms in my life. 2014 started with my son going to the hospital. My wife dealing with postpartum depression and anxiety. I mean, the worst season of our life was in 2014. Storms came. I didn't want it to start off that way but storms in our life and i just wonder how many of us have been knocked around by a storm how many of us have been knocked around by an argument with a family member how many of you have been knocked around by a loss of job a job that meant more to you about your identity uh, than anything else it was a dream that you had how many of you have been knocked around by financial crisis how many of you have been knocked around by health crises crises how many of you have been knocked around by a death, sudden death in your family, or a death that was expected, but it, it, the cost and the loss was far deeper than you could ever imagine? And Jesus ends his sermon saying, look, storms are going to come. Storms are going to come. That's, that's a given. And, and he gives us a, a description of types of people. And I love this because it's very helpful for me because I'm, I'm very ignorant. And, and he says, look, there, there are people um, and the people build houses and the house in this teaching is your life. You build your life. And there are two ways to build your life. You can build it on sand, which are the uncertain realities of life. You find meaning and pleasure and purpose in things that don't really matter. And then there are those that build their house of their life on the rock, which is Jesus and his teachings. There are two ways that you can live your life. And when the storms come, you can live your life and it will fall apart. And I can tell you that my life in many times have, has fallen apart. Because where I found my identity, where I found my value, where I put my hope and trust was in something other than Jesus and his teachings. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is anyone else here willing to confess that from the stage that, that when crisis came, it was like, what, what's going on? The, my world as I know it is collapsing. You're full of anxiety and despair and frustration and the questions. Not only do you question your calling and your vocation and whether or not you should sign a letter to the elders and say, I'm done with this church thing. I can't figure this out anymore. Maybe that's just for me. But you figure out ways to, to leave this thing that was so certain at one point. But then crisis comes and you walk away from it. You're standing on sand. You're being tossed back and forth. You're, my son gets sick anytime he gets the sniffles and I'm immediately going right back to that hospital room where I'm asking God, where are you in this scenario? You, you live your life with fear and you begin to protect the life that you have because it's uncertain. Can, any of, can we just say, air it out and say, yeah, that's how most of us, we just do it. But Jesus says there's a way to live. Where you become a non-anxious presence in a world of chaos. In other words, when Jesus says you can build your house on the rock, he's saying that no matter what happens, you're the kind of person that knows it's going to be okay. 
that's an unshakable life. That you can become the kind of person that no matter what's thrown at you, no matter what health crisis comes, no matter what job loss happens, no matter what argument comes to you in the, in the early morning, no matter what chaos you are experiencing, you can live in such a way that you know at the end of the day it's going to be okay. Because Jesus is the rock that your life is built on. He is the main thing, the priority, the main character in this epic story called your life. Irresistible life is an unshakable life where you become a non-anxious presence in a world of chaos. Is that good news? How many of you want that life? I'll be the first to raise my hand. I want that life. I desire that life. And, and I, it's not like we obtain this at one moment. The point is that we continue to build this life. And the question is, are we building it consistent with what Jesus calls us to build it from? Is our life moving towards Christ and the vision He has where we become the kinds of people that are unshakable? Or are we simply standing on the foundation of what is uncertain and movable? So how do we obtain this unshakable life? How do we become a non-anxious presence? Well, really, the, the point, is Jesus is saying, is the whole Sermon on the Mount. We learn to implement the, the teachings that he has. But again, there are a series of illustrations he gives us that I actually think speak to how we become the people that build lives on the rock of Christ. And I want to just go through this. We're going to go through them backwards. Does that sound exciting? Let's just do a memento style. We're going to go back and... Um, <laughs> we'll see what he means. Verse 21 of chapter 7. I'm just going to give you some observations and then we'll just land and we'll worship some more. And um, we'll, we'll go from there. Verse 21 says, and this one really got to me because I read this and I was like, oh, dang, right before Christmas. I have to preach on this. Let's, listen to what he says. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the father of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Well, if you're new to the church, welcome. So glad you're here. What do we do with this teaching? What is Jesus trying to say? Well, I just I want to read the scriptures because he's saying something about how we the, the type of people that we are, the type of people that we become. And, and the, my subtitle is true and false disciples. And so he, he says it's at the end of the day, it's not what you profess. Right. Lord, Lord. In other passages, the demons know it. It's not what you profess. Uh, it's not just disconnected good deeds. I mean, that's a summary of Jesus's ministry, prophecy, casting out demons, performing miracles. It's not just about disconnected good deeds, is it? What is he saying here? And, and he talks about on that day, he's referring to the day of judgment. And there are so many passages in Matthew's gospel where he talks about the day of judgment. One of them is my favorite. Um, and, and I actually got the, the passage tattooed on my arm because I forget so easily. But he says on that day. It will be about those who serve the least of these. He will separate those like sheep and goats. Now, here's what's interesting about that parable. If I put a picture of a sheep on here, you would be able to know without any training that it's a sheep. And if I showed you a goat, you would be able to distinguish the goat. There, you don't need to be a, get a degree in shepherding or whatever that is. 
you could see it through what they look like. And in almost every story of on that day of that judgment, it's not about what's professed. Guys, at the end of the day, when the end comes, it's not going to be a question of doctrine. Now, doctrine is important. Theology is important. It's not going to be a series of questions that you have to have the right answers. Okay, that's liberating some of you right now. It won't just be because you did a lot of great works. That's not it either. It's that Jesus knows you. I never knew you, he said. I mean, I can't tell you how many times Alex is upset at me because I'm doing the dishes and she just wants me to sit next to her. I thought doing good works is what her love language is. It's not. It's quality time. (laughs) Amen? All right. If you're dating, let me save you some time. Learn their language and speak that love language. I keep telling my wife my love language is good food. So she's doing a great job. But anyways, that's not really a love language. For those of you that know, sushi is a love language. And chipotle burritos. So double steak. Um, Anyways, double wrap. Extra sour cream. Anyways, okay, where were we? Oh, I never knew you. Yes. (laughs) I'm going to leave you without hope. Uh, What's going to happen at the end? The point. (laughs) The point is relationship. This whole thing is that God desires a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. It's not about what you profess. It's not just about what you profess. Oh, that, that is important. I have a friend who's a Jehovah's Witness. And he comes to my house every Saturday. He's an amazing man. Hopefully he comes here Sunday. Um, the next, uh, next year, we're, I'm going to go to his church. He's going to come to our church. Every week we come and we have a nice dialogue about Jehovah's Witnesses and uh, the Christianity that I believe. And we got to the point where in our discussion, he finally found out I wasn't a student. I was a p- pastor. And that was, that was a great insight for him because I brought Greek and Hebrew and textual criticism and all these things that I learned. And he was like, I, I've, I don't know what you're talking about. So anyways, point being this, we get down to it and we're preaching different gospels. Because he doesn't believe in the same Jesus I believe in. So who you're talking to is important. Obviously, theology is really important. That's why we preach this. But at the end of the day, Jesus is saying, um, how do you build a life that is on the rock? Well, it's first about relationship to him. It's about knowing him. It's about a life connected to Jesus with a meaningful relationship. And then second, it's not just about what you say. Um, It's not just about what you do. It's about allowing your life to speak for itself. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had an argument with somebody and you just you were like debating something about whether it was true or false and you knew 100 percent that what you were saying was 100 percent accurate and and true? Have you ever had this experience where maybe you wagered a 30 minute massage with your spouse? And as you sat there making that bet, you knew 100 percent that you were getting the 30 minute massage. Have you ever done something so silly? Because that's what I've done, and I've only won one time in my entire life. That's why I can tell it, because she wins every other time. But there we were, debating an answer to a question, and I knew I had it right. And as soon as she went to the, the worst thing ever, Google, and proved for me, because normally it proves me wrong, but proved that I was right, I just sat, and I was just like, let, let it speak for itself. <laughs> I'm like, I'll go get the massage oil. I'll be right back. <laughs> Jesus is saying, let your life speak for itself. Let your life speak for itself. At the end of the day, sheeps and goats, it's not hard to know which one's a sheep and which one's a goat. 
the life that you live will speak for itself. And, and that's what it's about. Jesus is saying it's about being known by him. And I love this because um, in Matthew's gospel, it begins with saying Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us, not God over us or under us. God with us. We learn to live a life connected to Jesus and we become unshakable in that relationship when circumstances come. So this passage is less about what you profess and the works you do, and it's about intimacy and knowledge and communion with God. And I just have to say, at times, I, I, I make it all about doing good works for God. And I'm, I'm, I'm obviously passionate about theology, um, but I'm also passionate about living this thing out. And it, but also, what I forget to, sometimes is that it's about this loving relationship with God. It's about living in right relationship with Him. It's not just about knowing the right things or doing the right things. It's about being with Him. How cool is that? And if you're new to the story of Christianity, that's what separates us from every other religion. You with me? So we live connected to Jesus and we allow our life to speak for, us, for itself. And then it says in verse 15, here's this, the third teaching. He says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes, bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So, Jesus gives us another teaching that we can um, kind of miss at times what he's doing. And he is talking about prophets, which are, were the leaders that spoke on behalf of God during his day. He's saying, look, there are people that outwardly look good, but inwardly, they're, they're um, driven by their own motivation. They're sheep on the outside, but they want to eat the sheep on the inside. <laughs> That people actually say one thing and do another. Right? So it's, it's talking about this, this inner life with God. And so he, he uses this illustration about a tree and fruit. And um, whether it's a, a true discipleship or false discipleship or a true leader or a false leader. And, and, and what Jesus is saying, look, at, at the end of the day, it's more than our words. It's more than saying the right thing. It's, this life is more, about, more than just doing the right things. It's about your inner person being transformed to Christ's likeness. And this is fascinating to me because I think we miss this all the time in the church. We want to give you five steps for, to live a non-anxious life, but we recognize that the anxiety comes from somewhere, from this deep place in your heart. And Jesus uses this illustration, and I had this awakening, I suppose, when I was reading this, because this is the best illustration for spiritual life with Jesus, I think. I really think that. Because it's talking about fruit. Now, I don't have fruit. I should get it for the next service. Imagine if I had a banana in my hand. Okay, here's, here's a, a bunch of bananas. How hard does the, do the bananas work? How hard do they have to work to become a banana? Is that a silly question? No. <laughs> this is a safe place. I have these imaginary bananas. <laughs> That all they have to do is stay connected to the tree, which is connected to the life source. Spiritual life with Jesus is a fruit, a life of transformation. All you have to do is stay connected 
to the life source. That spiritual life with God is about being connected to the source of life, allowing that, that spiritual force, God himself, to flow through you naturally in everyday ordinariness, and fruit will come out of it. And fruit will nourish others because it's good and beautiful, and that's the vision of kingdom. That you become the person that would naturally do what Jesus would do without having to think about it. And the only way you can do that is being in right relationship with God and allowing His Spirit to flow through you naturally, not in artificial environments, but in everyday, ordinary life. When you're doing the dishes, when you're driving to work, when you're feeding your kids, when you're working from your nine to five, you can have a vibrant spiritual life where God is producing fruit in you naturally and you're not working hard. Isn't that good? I'm so tired of trying to produce good fruit in my own life. That's not doing anything. It's like an ornament on a Christmas tree. I'm just going to take it. It's going to be taken away. It's fake. How, do, how will we recognize true disciples? By what comes out of them naturally. And I'll tell you, and I'll, again, because uh, I'm obviously already confessing all my brokenness now. A lot of bad stuff, stuff comes out of me naturally. I don't have to think hard about being mean or short or impatient on the freeway or upset when the latte is not as warm as I would like it. And those are the silly things. Imagine the serious things. But the solution, and you know what I do? I beat myself up all the time. I'm not a good enough dad. I'm not a good enough husband. I'm not a good enough leader. I'm not a good enough pastor. I beat myself up. And then Jesus just reminds me, (laughs) you think you're going to be good enough? You already are. I make you good enough. And I, I get back to this place where I'm now connected back to Jesus. And all of a sudden, all those superficial things, he's going to make me a better husband because I'm in right relationship with him. And the more I spend time with him, the more I'm connected to Jesus, the more the life of God flows through me. And patience isn't something I have to think about. It becomes natural fruit of true discipleship, of a true prophet. Is somebody that allows the life of God to flow through them naturally in their everyday life. So how are you connected? Uh, You are not the farmer. You are the tree that produces the bananas. (laughs) And how many of us are paranoid about this stuff? We're paranoid about it. And Jesus is just saying, stick with me. Allow this to come through me. I will produce the fruit. I will produce the life. And so much... So much of my life has been about the spiritual checklist, the disciplines, the, which are good. We've talked about transformation, but we have to allow the life of God to flow out of us. And that comes from relationship. Is that good news? Because I think it is. I want to be unshakable. And we, we pass this off and we're like, oh man, there are false prophets in the church. We've got to watch out for them. We are all at times false prophets. Aren't we? Driven by our own motives. Driven by our lives that we're pursuing the wrong things other than Jesus being disconnected from him on a regular basis. So all we have to do is say, yep, that's me. I repent. Let's move on. Go in freedom and wholeness. Don't beat yourself up. This is the life of God to incarnate his word and message. Are we, are we doing good? Yeah, we're doing good on time too. So um, I can just take my time now. So last one. And this is where Jesus begins. And I'm going to end here. Because I love, I love this. And, and it's, he says this. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to, to destruction. And many enter through it. 
But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Remember this series is about living the life here and now that Jesus desires for us. And, you know, we read this passage and we're thinking, okay, well, this is about Christianity compared to other religions, right? It's about Christianity being the narrow road and the small gate or the narrow gate. And, and all the other religions are the, the wide gate and only the few that find it. And I don't think that's what Jesus is teaching. I think it's far, I think it's far greater than that. It's deeper than that. It, he's teaching, I think, universal truth here. Okay? And this is what I mean, that um, Jesus is the ultimate truth. Okay? And so what he's revealing to us is not to compare Christianity to other religions. It's something deeper and far more meaningful and compelling. I think what he's doing is showing us how the universe actually operates and works. Okay, what do I mean by that? We see the broad and narrow road all over the place, don't we? We see it all the time. I mean, when, when you go on a diet this new year... You're saying no to a lot of stuff. The broad road is all the cheesecake factory that you can eat. And then you go to a, you start a workout plan and a diet, and all of a sudden there's a lot of no's to have the good that you want in life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, you, you think about, uh, uh, now, now let's think about it from this perspective. How many of us understand that the broad road leads to destruction here and now? Uh, and let's talk about destruction Think about life here and now, a life diminished from wholeness. How does the broad road lead to a diminished life? Well, let's just think of addiction, because um, I have a lot of friends that are addicts. I'm addicted to people. I think everyone's an addict or a codependent. I really do, the more I, I read about it. And I think AA needs to happen more in the church than anywhere else, because the church needs AA. I'm just, can I get an amen to that? Okay, that's our quest. To see that type of transformation that AA brings. I really mean it. But, but look at what happens when we are addicted to something. Let, let's say sex or a substance. Uh, you can't help but say yes. And where that broad road of yes leads you is to in, uh, uh, where you become a slave to the thing that you were once pleased by. You become addicted to it and it's the thing that's diminishing your life. Those that struggle with sex and pornography... Um, they watch how this thing starts with pleasure and moves to an, an incontrollable urge that they can't say no to. They become owned by it. And we do this with relationships. We do this with uh, alcohol. We do this with food. We do this with our inability to choose healthy, making, uh, healthy decisions. We do this outside of God. We see the broad road that leads to a life that's diminished, that's less whole. And we see the, the narrow road lead to a whole life. When you learn to live in moderation, when you, and if you watch AA, if you watch someone go through the process, they go from being broken, lost, addicted, to being people that are not only healed and whole and transformed and doing inventories and developing themselves, but they begin to be people that, that pull others out of the darkness and into the light, and they become generous with their lives and give back to others that are, that are hurting. That's transformation. That's the narrow road where we see athletes go to bed early, take a thousand shots at the free throw line so that they can make it in the moment, and Jesus is saying, this is how the world works. If you want a life in the kingdom, it's intentional. It's intentional. You have to be intentional about how you live. If you really believe in it, then you, your life will begin to move away from all the things that keep you from Him, and you will begin to live this intentional life out. This is not 
a story of just Christianity being the narrow road. This is about how the universe operates and Jesus is revealing to us that in the kingdom of God it is a narrow road and a narrow gate. That there are choices you have to make in your everyday life that keep you on this path. Now, when you step off, you don't have to beat yourself up. You just get right back on and keep going towards the destination, which will he'll let us know when we get there. Because when we get there, we'll just keep going. Do you realize? That's how eternity works, by the way. You never, you, you'll arrive with him and just keep growing from there. So when we talk about the narrow road, Jesus <clears throat> is saying, like, this is, this is how the world works. We see this all the time. The things that, that matter the most, we protect we seek after. We limit ourselves. I think about parents. Think about the narrow road of parents. How many of us say no to nights out? I was talking to people that are going somewhere for, for New Year's. And I'm like, oh man, to think about New Year's without having to worry about naps and driving eight hours with a kid in the car. That's just, that's a narrow road. I, wait, can we relate to this for a second? What do I mean by this? You're saying no to lots of good things to say yes to what's best. And what's best is that you're cultivating this new life. And nobody gets it until you become a parent or, or, or you've experienced this from, from your parents, but there's this love that you have that is just undes- indescribable. And you, you say no, not as, a, as like you're losing something. You're saying no with joy because this is the thing that matters most. And Jesus is saying this is how the kingdom works. This is how the kingdom of God works. We, when we follow Jesus, you discover that, that, that he is the life that is truly life. That you sell everything to buy the field. Because that's what matters most. And the reality is this. To have this life, you have to learn to say no to a lot of other things. Sometimes you say no to good things to say yes to the great thing. You live in what this, this whole discussion, these four teachings, can be summarized in one word. Obedience. Obedience. How will you know you're a true disciple? How will you build a life that's on a rock? How will you... Uh, be, what's the difference between a true uh, prophet and a false prophet? What's the narrow road? It's obedience. A life surrendered fully to Jesus in your everyday moments. Learn to live from Him because that's the best life you can possibly have. His life is better. His way is better. Kindness is better than bitterness. Forgiveness is better than resentment. Generosity is better than being stingy. Sacrifice is better than self-service. Grace is better than law. Hope is better than despair. Joy is better than depression. Peace is better than anxiety. Love is better than hate or indifference. And the rock is better than sand. Jesus is better than anything else. The, The narrow road is an intentional road. A road you must find. A path you must choose to follow. And as we end 2014 and step into 2015, I want to invite you to find the narrow road. To be connected to God. To build a life that you really want that will last for eternity. And how do we do this? Well, to summarize it, it's simply this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built a house on on a rock. The storms came, but it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. Just put his words into practice. And you'll see that Jesus is the rock. Through him, you can become the kind of person that when seasons change and the storms come, and I promise you they will come this year. I promise you, you will have a year, 2015, that you would not expect for good or bad. But no matter what happens, you can become the kind of person that says and knows deep in their soul, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay.
Because Jesus is. Amen? Amen. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Hey, can we pray? This is what I prepared. As you walk into this holiday season, I want to invite you to just explore the ways to live fully. To be fully alive in Jesus. Freed from religion and unrealistic expectations. Freed from anxiety and worry. Freed from allowing your stuff to define your life. Most importantly, connected to the source of life, who is Jesus Christ. So let me pray for us, and I'm going to invite some of you to come forward. We have, I have some um, people that had words of knowledge, I think, for the service in particular that we wanted to pray for. Um, so we'll do that in just a moment. But let me just pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word that gives us life. You want to give us life here and now. You desire for us to know you fully. And as our eyes are closed, I just want to invite those of you that just want to say yes to Jesus today. Maybe for the first time, or maybe it's just been so long and your life has been on sand for a while. And you want to allow Jesus to be the rock in your life. Would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you in particular. You're saying yes to Jesus. Thank you. I see your hands. Keep your hands up. Awesome. I'm just going to pray for you guys up in the front. Lord Jesus, and in the back, we just bless those now. We ask that you would come fully into their heart and mind and soul that they would know you, that you would know them, that you would be their king, their savior, their Lord. Lord, we thank you that you forgive them for their past, that you liberate them and free them, and you invite them into a new life. And we bless those that have raised their hands. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for saying that. Okay, a couple of things we want to pray for, and these are very specific. There are some of you that Christmas is really, really hard. And you walk into this week terrified and nervous and anxious because of what it means. And we want to just pray for you. So if that's you, would you just stand and come forward? In fact, why don't we all stand? And that would be easier for us. But you know, I'm, your heart's beating. You know it's you. Just come forward. We have, we have some people that are going to pray for you. If you're on the prayer team, come forward. This is a time that's full of anxiety and worry. Also, broken relationships. We want to pray for you. Second, if you uh, said yes to Jesus, we'd love to pray for you and just pray that God would protect that seed planted in your soul. And this is the last one. Um, And this is a little more vulnerable, so just stay with me. We're going to sing some happy songs in a second. But some of you just need to repent. And as soon as I said that, your heart melted and you know it's you. And it just means this. Look, you've been living outside of the way of God and God wants to just invite you back in. It's not repentance isn't a shameful thing. It's a joyful thing. And you, you, I just want to invite you to come to the cross, come up front, get prayer, and just say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. I want to live your life. I want to live towards you. And you've been in a habitual pattern of sin that has diminished your life. And that's who I want to pray for. So if that's you, would you come forward as well? We're not going to ask what it is. We just love to pray for you this season. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.